hands up if you use Google Maps as your choice of navigation. Hands up, keep your hands up. Okay, keep your hands up. Now keep your hands up if Google Maps has ever failed you in some way. Quite a lot of us, yeah? Okay, thank you. Well, let me read to you one particular Google Map fail. This actually made the news. It says this, Nearly 100 Colorado drivers were misled by Google Maps when a car crash on the road leading to Denver International Airport caused Google Maps to provide a detour. In a rush to get to the airport in time for their flights, many turned onto a narrow dirt road suggested by the app. I'll show you the dirt road. The drivers found themselves in an empty field with no other route options. One driver said there was a bunch of other cars going down the dirt road too, so I said, I guess it's okay. Well, it was not okay. Cars began sliding down the narrow dirt road, which had turned into a muddy mess. Some cars got stuck, causing another traffic jam. This driver, who took the photo, or who in the photo and took the detour, ended up with a vehicle semi-damaged and two extra passengers who needed her help to get to the airport. Google map fails. I don't know if that's happened to you. It's happened to me. Not quite like that. Did you see how, um, like, please, please keep Deuteronomy chapter 1 op uh, open. Um, let's have a look at the opening verses of Deuteronomy 1, because you'll see there's something really, really interesting, and it's related to the whole Google Maps thing. Look how Deuteronomy 1 starts. Let's start from verse 1. These are the words Moses spoke to all Israel in the wilderness east of the Jordan. Now skip down to verse 2. It takes 11 days to go from Horeb to Kadesh Barnea by the Mount Seir Road. In the 40th year, on the first day of the 11th month, Moses proclaimed to the Israelites all that the Lord had commanded him concerning them. Now, I've been lost before. I've been on Google Map detours, but I've never been this lost. Did you notice it? It takes 11 days. How long did they take? 40 years. An 11-day journey took them 40 years. I did quick calculations. That's 1,327 times as long as it should have taken. So what happened? What happened? Well, we're going to find out. Why study Deuteronomy? Right? Deuteronomy is interesting not just because you get to find out what happened and why they took a 40-year detour. Deuteronomy has been called the heartbeat of the Old Testament. The Old Testament, the first two-thirds of our Bibles first 39 books, it's been called the heartbeat of the Old Testament in that it pumps blood around the rest of the Old Testament. Seems pretty important, doesn't it? Uh, another person called Deuteronomy the Romans of the Old Testament. If you guys know about Romans in the New Testament, how important this is, Deuteronomy is the Romans of the Old Testament. We study Deuteronomy because we actually cannot understand the New Testament without it. You really can't. But we also study Deuteronomy because we, if you are a follower of Jesus, God's people today, we find ourselves in the same kind of situation as the first hearers God's Old Testament people were in. Right? Think about where they were at. Salvation was behind them. God had rescued them from slavery in Egypt. But the promised land was still to come in the future. And we're in that kind of position. The great salvation that God has brought through Jesus is behind us, but our promised land, the new creation, is still to come. You see, like God's Old Testament people, every single day, followers of Jesus, we 
have a decision to make, just like them in Deuteronomy. The decision of whether we will trust God and obey Him in our journey or not. Will we trust God or will we give in to fear and try and do things our own way and perish? That's why we need to study Deuteronomy. So let's pray and let's get into it. Join me in prayer. Father God, I pray that you would prepare every heart here by your Holy Spirit to speak the very words that Moses preached in Deuteronomy, written down for us thousands of years ago. But Father, by your Holy Spirit, please speak them afresh to every single soul here that we may hear you and trust you and obey you. In Jesus' name, amen. So I've got three points for you. At the crossroads, learn from the past, look to the future on the outlines. Let's go to the first point. Um, we need to recap a little bit uh, because you may not be familiar with the storyline of the Bible up to Deuteronomy. The first five books of the Bible actually belong together. All right, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. So a quick recap. In Genesis, you'll know that after God created the universe, but after the fall, humanity's only hope is God's promise to start all over again with one man and his descendants. So right back at the beginning, God made this perfect garden called Eden. And God's people were living in God's special place under God's rule and under his blessing. Now, now because of humanity's sin, Adam and Eve, our ancestors' sin, that's called the fall, that was all lost. They lost God's place under God's rule and blessing, they were no longer God's special people. But then God makes a promise to Abraham, we're still in Genesis, Abraham, one man. And he says to Abraham, with you, I will start a new people. Your descendants will be the new people. I will take you to a new place, a sort of Eden 2.0. It's called Canaan or the promised land. And you will once again live under my rule and blessing. That's Genesis in Exodus, the next book, Abraham's descendants are numerous. Some 400 years later, they're numerous, all right, as God promised. But they're in slavery in the land of Egypt. So God reveals himself to them in Egypt through a leader called Moses. And through Moses, he leads them out of slavery. He makes them his people. He brings them into a formal relationship with himself. That formal relationship is called a covenant. We'll come across that concept again and again in Deuteronomy. He brings them into a covenant relationship with himself at a special place. You might have heard where the Ten Commandments come called Mount Sinai. Now, here in Deuteronomy, it's often called Horeb. All right, when you read Horeb, same as Sinai. The rest of the book of Exodus and then the whole next book, Leviticus, spells out the nature of the relationship. They were a sinful people. God is a holy God. How is that even possible? Well, there are rules and regulations that um, help them relate to God properly. So that's Exodus and Leviticus. In the book of Numbers, they begin that journey from Horeb, Mount Sinai, to the Promised Land. Now, we won't go through Numbers in detail because actually a lot of Numbers is captured here in Deuteronomy chapter 1 through flashback. See, what happened in Numbers is now recounted as a flashback and why they didn't make it into the land in the first place, the first time around. So, let me show you a map. Okay, you see that map? So this 11-day journey, this is Mount Horeb. Well, they think one of the places that Mount Sinai was, okay? God brought them out of Egypt to Mount Sinai. This is an 11-day journey, right, um, from Horeb to Kadesh Barnea, which actually is at the edge of the Promised Land, which is here and goes right up off the map. All right? So that's an 11-day journey, it says, from Horeb to Kadesh, which is on the southern edge of the land. 
From there, they were supposed to launch their conquest into the land so they could make this land theirs. But then we'll notice, though, in chapter 1, verse 5, Deuteronomy is actually taking place not in Horeb, I'm sorry, not in Kadesh Barnea, but here in the plains of Moab, up on the top right here. And it's 40 years later. So that's also on the edge of the promised land. Okay, so they were supposed to go in from the south, but from this side, where they're at the Deuteronomy, 40 years later, they're, they're going to conquest from the east, going west. All right? 40 years later, also on the edge of the promised land. They're at the crossroads again. But 40 years has passed because they spent 40 years wandering around from Kadesh where they should have taken the land, wandering around for 38 years around, and then by the beginning of Deuteronomy, again are at the edge of the land, but they hadn't gone into the land yet. And between Kadesh and where they are now, not only has 38 years or so passed, there's been a whole change of generation. Okay? Now, by the end of uh, Deuteronomy, they will be ready to now go in a second time. But even Moses himself won't be going with them. We'll find out why later. Okay, So that's kind of the map, give you an idea of where we're at. Now, what is Deuteronomy? Deuteronomy is actually a collection of Moses' final speeches, his sermons, if you like, to Israel at the crossroads the second time. It's actually three sermons. You'll see markers throughout the book of Deuteronomy when each sermon begins. So chapter 1 is the first sermon. At the beginning of chapter 5 is the second sermon. And then the third sermon is at the beginning of chapter 27. So the big second sermon goes from chapters 5 to 26. That's a big chunk. So what's Moses' main message in this whole book of Deuteronomy? Remember, he himself is not going to go into the land. We'll find out why later. So this is really his last instructions before he dies. And his main message we find at the end of Deuteronomy. Have a look at the screen. And this is what he says. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, have a look with me. He says, right at the end of this book, This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life, so that you and your children may live, and that you may love the Lord your God. Listen to his voice and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life, and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. If you want, these are the summary verses of what the whole book is about. And his message is, make a choice. Right? Make a choice. Now choose life, he urges them. Will you succeed now? Will you fail this second, second time around? Whether you succeed or fail is up to you. Now today, God may be saying the same things to you in your life. He may be urging you to make a choice. And whether you succeed or whether you fail depends on your choice. And that theme of decision is actually a really helpful way of structuring the book. So if you like to hang things on a structure, you can actually think of Deuteronomy you can think of it split up into three sermons, but it's actually probably even more helpfully split up into three sections. And the first 11 chapters is about Israel at the place of decision. And then the main section of Deuteronomy, chapters 12 to 26, is the decision being spelt out. 
And then the final section or the final speech is the outcome of that decision. See, in order to make the right choice, we're going to start in section one. And in these first three chapters, we're going to remember when they made the wrong choice. Okay? To make the right choice, now they need to first remember when they made the wrong choice. Because learning from the past is vital to the future. So let me go to point number two, learn from the past. Deuteronomy chapter one, have it open again. Verse 6 onwards, we flash back to the book of Numbers. So now we're flashing back. And this is what God says to them back in Numbers in Sinai, but in the words of Deuteronomy. Look at verse 6. The Lord our God said to us at Horeb, that's Mount Sinai, you have stayed long enough at this mountain. Break camp and advance into the hill country of the Amorites. Amorites is another word for Canaanites, the inhabitants of Canaan. Go to all the neighboring peoples in the Arabah, in the mountains, in the western foothills, in the Negev, along the coast, to the land of the Canaanites, and to Lebanon, as far as the great river, the Euphrates. There God is kind of sketching out verbally the whole length and breadth of the land. Verse 8, See, I have given you this land. Go in and take possession of the land the Lord swore he would give to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and to their descendants after them. Now, did you notice verse 8? And he says it again in the bit we read. I have given it to you. Go in and take possession. You got that? That's a really important point. God has promised and guaranteed future blessing, but it doesn't mean you just sit around and wait and do nothing. God's promise in this case, and so many of the promises he makes to us in our lives, actually requires us to actively choose, actively obey his call so that we can take hold of those promises. Now, just sketch out uh, some of the rest of the chapter in chapter 1, verse 9 to 18, the bit before, the bit we read earlier. Moses is going to appoint leaders from the people because the people needed to, well, there's about a million plus men, women, and children. He needed leaders to help manage them. And then the bit we did read from chapter 1, verse 19 onwards is recounting what happened when they did hit the southern edge of the land the first time at Kadesh. And it's relived in a lot of detail. Just to give you an idea, um, Deuteronomy chapters 1 to 3, which is really what we're broadly covering today, uh, it covers 38 years, okay? 38 years in three chapters. But the most verses are these verses we read earlier that Rachel read to us, verses 19 to 40, and they cover only two weeks. Right? The rest of the 38 years is covered in you know, just as many verses, but these two weeks are central to why they failed. God wants them to be honest when they look back as to why they failed. So let's recount that. We read it earlier. I won't read all the bits again. But you remember what happened is they reached Kadesh, right, at the southern edge of the land. God says to them again, verse 21, verse 21, See, the Lord your God has given you the land. There it is. He's given you the land, but go up and take possession of it. As the Lord your God has told you, do not be afraid do not be discouraged. So there's the command. But you'll notice they don't obey straight away, do they? They decide they need to see for themselves. So verses 22 to 24, we read earlier, they select and send 12 spies to go in, see it, come back to report, which actually on the surface seems like pretty decent military strategy. It's called reconnaissance, right? Everyone does that. Nowadays, we do it with planes and drones. But back then, they actually sent spies to look at it. Seems important. And they do it with Moses' blessing. What we don't get is God's comment on this situation. Because that's not exactly what God told them to do. God didn't say, right, go in and take the land, but first go and spy it out just to check it's okay. He didn't tell them that. 
Right? Not exactly what God commanded. Now, we don't know whether this was the right or wrong thing to do to go on a recon. Right? The writer of Deuteronomy seems to be silent, but even Moses approves. But whatever the reason, or whatever, whether it's good or bad, what we find out is in verse 25, they do return. And what do they confirm? Well, they confirm what God has told them, that this is a good land. It is indeed a good land. Everything that he said it would be. And then we get the turning point, don't we? Verse 26. It's a good land, but it's a big but. But you were unwilling to go up. You rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. You grumbled in your tents and said, The Lord hates us. So he brought us out of Egypt to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us. Where can we go? Our brothers have made our hearts melt in fear. They say the people are stronger and taller than we are. The cities are large with walls up to the sky. We even saw the Anakites there. The Anakites were like fabled descendants of giants. Right? You see the over-the-top language. The Lord hates us. Our hearts are melting in fear. They don't want to go. Well, Moses replies and he pleads with him, doesn't he? Because he knows what's at stake. Let's keep reading. Verse 29, then I said to you, remember, this is a sermon. This is Moses giving a speech. So Deuteronomy is actually best heard out loud. All right, so imagine Moses saying this to them. Then I said to you, do not be afraid. Do not be terrified. The Lord your God who is going before you will fight for you as he did for you in Egypt before your very eyes and in the wilderness. There you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a father carries his son. What a lovely image. All the way you went until you reached this place. You see what he's saying? God has brought you here this far. He's carried you like a father carries his son. He will get you all the way there. In spite of this, he goes on, you did not trust the Lord your God who went ahead of you on your journey in fire by night, in a cloud by day to search out places for you to camp and to show you the way you should go. They said, the Lord hates us. Moses says, no, God carried you like a loving father carries his son. But they still refuse to go, so they rebel. And of course, the consequence in verse 34, we read it earlier, so we won't read it all again. God would punish that entire generation so that none of them except two, right, Caleb and Joshua, only those two would end up entering the land. Instead, that current generation would wander for 40 years until they all perished. It's their children who would be the ones who would enter the land. It's tragic, isn't it? They come so close. They could go into land, taste the fruit, see how good the land is, and they're not going to be able to enter. But it gets worse. Verse 37, Moses himself won't enter either. Now, this bit doesn't tell us why he won't. It's not because he rebelled. It's a separate incident. If you want to read up on it, it's in Numbers chapter 20. Right? But Moses himself, their great leader, won't get to go either. And the verses 41 to 45, we didn't read earlier. Um, they try to take matters into their own hands. Right? They, they regret not going in as God commanded, but they fail dismally. Read about that later on. And then in chapter 2, verse 1, they turn back and God makes them wander around for the next 38 years. All right, so that's really the story of the failure the first time. So let's have a think about it. Why did they fail? Like, why did they fail? Because it's important to be honest, isn't it, when it comes to failure. Even self-help books that have nothing to do with the Bible will tell you that you, 
If you're not honest about your past failure, you can't really succeed in the future. So why did they fail? Well, it seems like a pretty obvious answer. They failed because God said something, made a command, and they didn't obey, right? They failed because they didn't obey. But is that it? No, I reckon we can go a little bit deeper than that, can't we? They failed because they didn't obey. Why didn't they obey? They didn't obey God because they didn't trust God. Yeah, that's not new information, is it? They didn't obey because they didn't trust, right? They failed because they didn't obey. They didn't obey because they didn't trust. Well, let's go one step deeper again. Why didn't they trust God? They didn't trust God because they were afraid. You got that? They failed because they didn't obey. They didn't obey because they didn't trust. They didn't trust because they were afraid. And why were they afraid? They were afraid because what they could see with their eyes spoke much louder to their hearts than the words that God had promised them. Now, I wonder if you know about that sequence. Disobedience comes from distrust. Distrust comes from fear. Have you ever experienced that in your own life? Be honest. When you and I fail, when we choose badly, when we sin, when we disobey, when we lose our way, isn't it often, if not always, the same? That behind disobedience is failure to trust and behind failure to trust is fear. Anytime we're tempted to disobey God, the same kind of things happen, don't they? Right? Remember Israel, they were afraid because what they saw with their eyes, those big giant people, the cities with high walls, what they saw with their eyes was much bigger in their hearts than the promises of God. And they were afraid. Well, what happens when what we see before our eyes speaks louder than the promises of God? What happens then? Well, fear and insecurity also take over, don't they? We become afraid of missing out. And so we also take matters into our own hands. Isn't it the same? See, I wonder if today you, you are at the crossroads in some level in your life between obeying God and failure. Are you at the crossroads? Are you at a decision point? Because if you are, God is telling you, trust me. Trust me that sexual purity is worth it because I'm more satisfying, God says. Don't be afraid of singleness. Don't be afraid of waiting. Don't be afraid of missing out on intimacy. Remember, I promise you that my love will be more than enough to satisfy you. Do you trust me? Trust me that I will provide for you. You don't need to keep buying and spending or hoarding stuff to be satisfied. Don't be afraid to live with less so that you can give more to others. Trust me. Trust me that your sacrifices for me are worth it. 
You don't need to chase that career success or financial security at the expense of your Christian life or your family. Don't be afraid that you will miss out. The journey of sacrifice and faith is worth it. Trust me. Trust me that I can heal your hurts. You don't need to keep running to distractions or addictions or lash out in anger and pain to handle your own hurt. Trust me. Don't be afraid to be vulnerable with me. Let me handle your pain. Trust me in your conflicts and your relational difficulties. Don't be afraid to keep on loving and forgiving and seeking reconciliation. I know it hurts. Of course it hurts. But let me carry your pain. Let me give you the love that you need to keep moving towards others rather than giving in to bitterness. Trust me. Trust me enough to give me your life and today decide to become a Christian. You've been on the edge for a while, I know. You're afraid. I know you're afraid of surrendering your life. You know it's all true, but you're just afraid of taking that last step. You're afraid, perhaps, of failure. You think, if I become a Christian, what if I let God down later on? Well, trust me. I promise to be enough, and I promise to walk with you every day from now on. You can trust me. Are you at the crossroads? What is God saying to you? Well, the rest of Deuteronomy chapters 1 to 3 is just too much to cover. So let me just quickly give you an outline of the uh, next few verses, and or basically the next two chapters. I do want to recommend this ESV journal. Um, to really get the most of Deuteronomy, you really do need to read it. We can only cover bits and pieces in our community groups, in our sermons. So the best thing to do is read the book, uh, Deuteronomy, uh, back to back. And uh, this scripture journal is a great way you can, you know, highlight, jot down notes and that kind of stuff. So seven bucks, I think we only have 20 copies, so grab them as soon as you can. Um, But basically, that's an outline of the next two chapters. See, 40 years later is when we're in chapter two. They begin to taste success. Okay, you're going to get the first conquests, especially in that second section, the defeat of the two kings, Sihon and Og, and then they settle in the, the first two tribes settle. Um, Essentially, the summary is, if failure comes from not trusting, which is what we looked at so far, then success is going to be what? The opposite, right? doesn't take a genius to figure that out. See, throughout these chapters, there's constant reminders that God can be trusted, that He is faithful to His promises. Um, Even back in chapter 1, remember, um, Moses appoints all these leaders. Why did they need more leaders? Well, they needed more leaders because Moses on his own couldn't handle a million plus men and women and children. But why did they have like a million plus men, women, and children? Well, it's because, chapter 1, verse 10, the Lord your God has increased your number so that you are as numerous as the stars in heaven. That's almost exactly the words God said to Abraham. Look up to the heavens and count. If you can count the stars, that's how many your descendants will be. See, a reminder, even in the appointment of leaders, that God was faithful. In chapter 2, verse 24, um, that second section, why were they so, they actually easily conquered these two Canaanite kings. How did they do that so easily? Um, In chapter 3, verse 11, don't look it up, but one of these kings, actually they found 
had a giant bed because why he was a giant, like he was huge, like eight feet, nine foot tall kind of thing. Now remember, they failed the first time at Kadesh because they were afraid of what? Giants. These giant people. Well, one of the kings they conquered was one of those giants and they conquered him with ease. See, they succeeded the second time around, 40 years later, because God said, and they just took God at his word, there was no reconnaissance needed, all right? They weren't afraid. They just went in and they took it because they believed that God would fight for them and they obeyed and that was success. Okay, simple formula, isn't it? Now, look back. Look back at your failures, yes, but also look back at your successes. If you've been a follower of Jesus for any length of time, when you and I look back, we also need to see where and why We've succeeded, not just where and why, we've failed. So I wonder if, if, if you're a Christian, do you make a conscious effort to remember and recall how God has been faithful to you in the past? Do you do that? Do you do that frequently? If you've been a Christian for any length of time and you know you've had failure and successes, isn't it true that where you've been most at peace, where you've been most assured, where you've been most joyful in your walk as a Christian, have been the times where you've trusted in the goodness and faithfulness of God and see how he has delivered on his promises. Isn't that true? I can think back of so many times in my life. So if you're at the crossroads right now, is that something you need to call to mind? See, when the future seems unclear, when the present hurts, do you need to look back? And ask yourself, well, where, where can I see God's faithfulness? Do you need to ask God to help you remember? All right, my final point. Look to the future. So we've looked back. Israel can now look to the future. Now, the rest of Deuteronomy, after chapter 3, will give them all that they need. Remember, Deuteronomy is all about decision. Choose life. Choose well. Well, the rest of Deuteronomy will give them all that they need to choose well and choose life. Now, it's tempting to see Moses' remember, these are his final words, right? His three speeches. You can almost see, well, if, if they were my final speeches, I wouldn't be like a TED Talk guy, right? I'd be giving motivational speeches. And it's tempting to see Moses as giving motivational speeches, giving them a big rah-rah before they go in and take the land. But if so, then something really doesn't fit. If you read Deuteronomy all the way to the end, something will not fit. Because motivational speeches, as you know, is always positive about the future, yeah? Of course, has to be. You motivate people by being positive. But that's actually not Deuteronomy. You see, Deuteronomy chapter 3, even our little section, ends with a reminder that even their best, their leader, Moses, failed. At the end of chapter 3, he begs God to let him into the land. Change your mind, God. I want to go in and see it. But God says, no, no, no. I'd already decided you had failed me earlier too. Numbers 20 is where you can find that. Right? He will only see the land from a distance, but he will die at the end of the book as well. So it's failure, even at the end of chapter 3, our section. But then if you go all the way to the end of Deuteronomy, among Moses' last words are, well, look with me on the screen. For I know that after my death, you are sure to become utterly corrupt and to turn away from the way I've commanded you. In days to come, disaster will fall on you because you will do evil in the sight of the Lord and arouse his anger by what your hands have made. That is not a good way of ending if you're trying to give a motivational speech. He's essentially saying, even after all this, Israel, even after you take the land, you will fail too. 
This is not Moses just being bitter old man. You know, if I can't go in, then you, you know. This is Moses actually being real because Moses knows too well that the root of the problem of the people of God in the Old Testament is that their hearts were hard. Their hearts were sinful. And with all the laws that he's given them in books of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, all these laws can only change the outside. But they needed something more. They needed heart surgery, level, working at the level of the heart to really change them. They needed to be born again. And so Moses' words actually come true. Because fast forward a few hundred years and that's exactly what happens. After their glory days, they do end up exiled, kicked out of the land. And that's really Deuteronomy as prophecy. This was going to happen, he said. And really, the end of the Old Testament begs the question then, how, how can any people of God succeed? Like, God, you're telling us to make a choice, to trust you and succeed. But if Israel can't succeed, what hope do we have? Will we, followers of Jesus, God's people today, also end up like Israel? Well, the answer is, of course, no. Because between Deuteronomy and us stands Jesus. And here you need to know that where Israel fails, Jesus succeeds. Now just think about the parallels between Jesus and the book of Deuteronomy and the people of the Old Testament. Remember, they wandered for how long? 40 years. What was the first thing Jesus did before he entered public ministry? He was in the wilderness, in the desert, and he was tempted for how long? 40 days. There's a clear parallel, isn't it? Where they failed, though, Jesus in his temptation succeeded. And guess what? When he was tempted by the devil, the devil asked him three questions. He replies three times. Each of his replies quote from a book of the Bible. Which book of the Bible do you think he quoted from? The book of Deuteronomy. Each response. Where Israel fails, Jesus succeeds. In fact, where Moses fails... Jesus also succeeds because he is the new Moses. He is the better Moses. He is the one who goes all the way ahead of his people, takes them all the way to heaven. And in fact, goes to heaven itself so that he can one day bring heaven down to us. He is the better Moses. And where sin guarantees failure, Jesus can guarantee success. Because why? Well, he deals with sin, doesn't he? He deals with sin once and for all by dying on the cross in our place. And the other thing he does for his people today, if you're a follower of Jesus, God's New Testament people, is he gives us the Holy Spirit. That is, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, God himself, is the big decisive change factor. That means that we don't have to fail where Israel failed because remember, what was their problem? Their hearts were hard. They needed to be born again. And what does Jesus promise? If you come to him, he will give you his spirit and he will give you new birth, new hearts with new desires. Those who are his will actually want to trust him, want to obey him, not just on the surface, but from the inside out. And he will also, by his spirit, give us the power to do so. So let me ask you again, are you at the crossroads? Is your Lord Jesus calling you to step out in obedience in some way in your life at this moment? To step out in faith? Are you 
at the crossroads, feeling like what you see speaks so much louder than His promises. Well, you know what the Bible says? It says that we live by faith, not by sight. You see, God mostly doesn't show us the future beyond the next step, does He? But to guarantee our success, He gives us someone to lead us, a Savior to follow. And He calls us quite simply to, this is really every single day life for the Christian, is to ask, where is Jesus leading me today? By his Holy Spirit. What is he saying to me by his word? Am I able to follow him step by step by step? Just keep on trusting, keep on obeying, keep on overcoming fear. Trusting him, not what I can see, but what I cannot see. So, what will you choose? Will you choose, like Israel, to give in to fear and mistrust, or will you choose life and follow Jesus? Why don't we pray? I'll get the band to come up, get ready to sing. Heavenly Father, we pray. I want to pray for anyone here who is especially feeling the call of God in their lives to make a choice, and maybe it's a difficult choice. Whatever that choice is, they know what the right thing is to do, but maybe they're finding it hard to trust. Holy Spirit, please, Through your word today, give them a clearer grasp of Jesus who guarantees our success, who deals with our sin, who says, I will lead you, I will carry you, I will walk with you, just step out in faith, just follow me, just trust me, and I will bless you and give you joy. Help them to make that choice today by your power and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.